This might be one of the most memorable Christmases of our entire lifetime because we've never been through a pandemic at Christmas time ever that I'm aware of. I've never heard of that before. And um, it's interesting that, you know, when I say memorable, because um, a lot of times the bad things can outweigh the good things. And you have to go back in time and go, I, I, I think this happened to me. It was good. I think that happened to me on this day that was good. But boy, when something bad happens, you know the time, the date, the hour that it happened, right? And COVID probably is going to be one of those things that's going to be a little bit difficult for families to get together. Um, some are going to do it no matter what. And, and, um, and, and that's, that's people's call to do, of course. Um, but it definitely going to be, make it memorable. How many remember the Christmas of 1978? Who was alive during that time? Can you remember though the details of it? Like you remember the, the details of Christmas 1978? Probably not the, all the details of the actual Christmas time, but you'll remember the 1978-1979 blizzard. Come on, y'all. I remember that. Of the decade, right? So look, we got a lot of young people here. Don't you remember that? That was maybe before some of your time or you weren't born yet. You might at least read about it where it started coming down in November and didn't stop till March. And we had snow. I mean, just, you go online, you can look at the snow. You'll never forget it. I, as a kid, I was about 11 years old, 10, 11 years old. I was just a kid. And I never made more money in my entire lifetime. You know, approval can turn a crisis into, into cash. Praise God. I mean, we make it work, right? Make something happen. And so... And we went into business. My buddy and I, we got shovels, and we just started shoveling driveways and, and sidewalks and everything else and made a ton of money that particular winter. Um, it was unbelievable. The snow was about this high in people's yards. Uh, they had to shovel. You saw people on the roof all the time shoveling the roofs because they are afraid the roof was going to cave in because of the weight of the snow. It was just crazy, like living in igloos everywhere. And um, we remember that because it was something that was bad that marked our world during that Christmas season of our life. And um, I remember one of the most enjoyable Christmas times that I ever had was in 1983, Christmas Eve. I proposed to my wife, Pastor Robin, and um, she said, I'll think about it. And I said, yes, yes. No, she said yes, and, and the rest is history on that. So I'll never forget that moment. We actually we were, uh, I decided to do it outside. It was pretty, it just snowed. And, uh, and uh, we went to this little pavilion that was out called Mississippi Gardens in Rockford, Illinois. And it's kind of like off the main dragon. So, but it's right on the river, right on the river. So it was pretty. It was just, it was gorgeous. It was winter, it snowed, like I said. So we decided we'll park behind there. And I was going to cheat on what I'm doing. And I said, let's walk out to the gazebo that's out there. So we started walking to the gazebo. Didn't realize there was a ditch, praise God. Didn't know there was a ditch because it was completely level. So we fell up to here in the ditch, but she still said yes, praise God. You're not a good leader, but you know what? I'm gonna say yes anyways. So it's memorable. I'll never forget that moment because I was embarrassed, you know, the whole thing. But I managed to get the ring out and, and proposed to her and she said yes, hallelujah. Best decision she ever made. <laughs> praise the Lord. So it's a Christmas that um, you don't forget. Um, probably about um, four or five weeks ago now, the elders and I meet on Tuesdays to pray together. And as we were praying, as happens quite often between us, the Lord will speak to us, one of us in a way of a vision or 
um, a word from the Lord, scripture verse, an impression. And I always ask them, what has the Lord given you? And sometimes uh, there'll be no, nothing, but more than likely there's something that God will deliver. And so that particular night I had a vision. The vision I saw the Lord. I haven't seen the Lord in many visions. I'll be honest with you. But this one I saw him so clear, guys. And I still see it right now. And he, he had the biggest laugh smile. Like he was in midstream laughing, smiling as big as he could. His eyes squinted. And he was holding this big old three-tier birthday cake. And, and I knew that the Lord was saying something special is going to happen on his birthday this year. If, if there's ever been a time to believe God for a great Christmas, why not now during the time that most people will probably be panicked or upset or, or um, in a time where the families get together and it's never for them very good or they've lost a loved one and it's very sad during this time of year. These are real things that happen in people's lives. But did you know, I believe that God actually is planning to have an incredible birthday party for his son. And it's like he's inviting all of us to come on board with that. Somebody say amen. Somebody say happy birthday, Jesus. The title of my message this morning is A Christmas to Remember. Father, we thank you so very much for your precious anointing in this place, wonderful presence of God, the touching of the children, Father God, and mothers and fathers and people, Lord God, watching online across this entire state, Lord God, and around the world, and especially those that are here, Lord God, that made the trek out today. Bless all of us, Father God, in Jesus' precious name. Let revelation come even to our hearts today, Lord God, that will never be the same again. Everybody said amen and amen. So I um, revealed to you last week that uh, there is a particular um, astronomical anomaly that's going to be happening on December 21st, which is tomorrow, and my birthday. Thank you, honey, my birthday. So the Lord did this for me, uh, and maybe anybody else who's on the 21st too. Amen. So it's an, a neat time of year because it's... Um, it's the, it's the time, it's the shortest day of the year is what they say, right? So the good news is after tomorrow, guess what? It gets a little bit lighter each day until springtime. Aren't you glad about that? So we made it somewhere in the, uh, at least the third point of, the, um, of, this, of this winter. So, um, and so there's this, this moment that's going to be happening tonight, tomorrow, and then the day after. But tomorrow is going to be at its zenith point. And that's where Jupiter and um, Saturn align so close together that when you look at it, it's going to look like one giant bright star in the sky. It only happens once every 800 years. You know, I believe that God still speaks with, to us in his stars because he's the creator of heaven and earth. And so, uh, of course, numbers, everything that's been created, God speaks through. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I don't think it should chart your life. Uh, the heavens should declare his glory, and the heavens should be something of confirmation to us. But it's something that definitely is special that doesn't happen. It's a rare occasion. Every 800 years, this forms, and a lot of theologians call it the Star of Bethlehem. Because they believe that, it, quite frankly, that it could, be, it could have been the star that was over Jesus in Bethlehem during the time of his birth. And I'll get to it in just a moment where the Magi were studying the stars and were, and were led to his particular coordinates, his location because of that. So something special 
is happening, I think, this Christmas. And then, of course, the vision that I had. And I've heard now many prophets call this a Christmas to remember. A Christmas to remember. Something significant, get ready for it. Might be surprises that you didn't know was going to happen, is going to happen during this time. And the essence of the Christmas story honestly doesn't start in Bethlehem. It's, it goes much further back than that. We think of the manger. We think of the babies, uh, you know, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger, uh, and, and all of that. And it's a great story. But it, it goes back even further than that to a place called Ur. You are Ur. And that is where we get the story of Abraham. Because Abraham's prophetic life uh, lays out the foundation of a future event that would happen, uh, would happen through G God's son, his name being Jesus Christ. But this man, Abraham, did not have a son. And God did not have a son on planet Earth. So you see that there's a parallel effect here. The father needing a son. And so, uh, and so he promised Abraham. He said, now come out from the land where you are. He said, I'm going to give you a promise there's going to be a son. Now Ur was a, uh, was a very um, noted city uh, in, that, in that time frame. And, and it was a, a large city. And it's where Abraham came from. And he, the Bible says he was a wealthy man. He was going to become much more wealthy because of God's blessing upon him. But, in fact, he was a wealthy man. And so he was to leave all of that behind and follow God to a city and maker. He said that God's hands has built, but nobody knew where it was. He was on his Abraham journey, as it were, and he was there to find it. And so his name was Abram at the time, and God said, your name shall be called Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. And for 16 to 17 years, he walks around saying that his name is Abraham, father of a nation or father of a multitude, not having one child to bear out the proof of his name. No manifestation, only a promise. God gives a promise. And so he always starts with that, then expects us to walk by faith and not by sight. Abraham to walk this thing out, given a promise that looks like it's absolutely impossible because now Abraham, he's not 25, he's not 35, he's not even 55 years old. He's nearing 100 years of age, and he has no kids. His wife is up there in age with him, and the Bible actually says that she's past now the age of childbearing. She can't have kids anymore. She's no longer on her cycle. She's, she's, she's already been past menopause. She's now physically incapable of having a child, but they have a promise. And God said, you'll have your son, and you'll have, uh, you'll have a son, and he'll be your son. He won't be somebody that's adopted. He won't be somebody within your, father's, uh, your, uh, your family's household. This is going to be your own child that will come to the womb of Sarah. Impossible. Not possible. So, but Abraham believed, the Bible says. Well, finally, the Bible says that Abraham becomes pregnant. And, of course, they're, they're, just, they're just incredibly overjoyed and overwhelmed by this inc incredible news that she's now pregnant. I mean, here's this old woman now is pregnant with a child and is growing every day within her womb. And so she laughed when she was told she was going to get pregnant. So they decided to call this child Little Laughter which is the word Isaac. That's where Isaac, the, the name comes from, is my little laughter. And because it became the, become the joy of their old age. And so she bursts the son Isaac, and Isaac begins to grow with the father. And every single year they go to Mount Moriah, and they go there to sacrifice on this mountain. Every year they have the sacrifice to give to God. It's an honor and a privilege. And Isaac goes with his father to do this. Except for one year, because one year God said, I want you to take your son, listen to these words, he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. How many's ever heard that in John 3.16? God, he said he had his son, the only begotten of the father, the only son. 
He said, take him and sacrifice him to me there. Now, God never required a human sacrifice before, and, and maybe he's thinking I'm hearing something wrong, but he goes ahead and follows God anyways. He does what God asks him to do. And they begin to travel to Mount Moriah, and there we see Isaac, pretty smart for his age. You know, he's now, you know, probably a, a young man, young nonetheless, but he says, Father, we have the fire for the sacrifice. We have the binding for the sacrifice. We have the knife to kill the sacrifice to God, to worship God. He said, but Lord, he said, but Father, where is the sacrifice itself? And he said, the Lord will provide. Son, the Lord will provide. He tells the servants, you stay over here, I and the ladder going yonder to worship God. And, but his, his words were this prophetically. He said, but we shall return. We shall return. So uh, they go on top of the mountain, and there uh, the Bible says that he put his son on the altar. And um, just before he's about ready to take his own son's life, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, don't do this. Now watch this. There was an announcement from an angel that shows up and says, don't do this. But there, caught in, in, the, in the thicket over there, is a ram. That is your sacrifice. And he says, the Lord has provided, which means Jehovah Jireh. God has provided, or what has been hidden now is revealed. So something significant happens. It is much greater. What was God doing there? He was making Abraham's life in that moment a prophetic example of what he would do, except for in Abraham's story, even though there was the concern of losing his son, he did not have to sacrifice his only son. But God would not have that privilege. God would ultimately allow his son to be sacrificed for the sin of mankind. Fast forwarding now into the New Testament era. And there's a woman by the name, she's a young woman, about 15, 16, 17 years of age, by the name of Mary. She's betrothed to uh, her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. And in, the, in, in, in that engagement period, right before the marriage would take place, she's visited by an angel, by Gabriel. And uh, the angel comes and has a conversation with her and says, Mary, you've been chosen. You're highly favored of the Lord. Be careful when you are highly favored of the Lord, praise God. Sounds like God's about to ask you to do something you don't want to do. To get the favor, praise God. And so she, um, she says, what is this? And, and, and she's, she's pondering about what she's actually seeing in front of her, this angel, something from God. And so she said, do not be afraid. I've been sent to tell you that the Lord will overshadow you. God himself will overshadow you, and you will become pregnant, and you will bear a son and call him Emmanuel. You're going to call him, it means God with us. You're going to call him God comes to planet earth and now walks with people, Emmanuel. And he shall be the savior of the world and the whole world will rejoice. And she said these words, how can these things be since I do not know a man? And so I'm setting you up to get you to understand that the idea, and we're going to go into really, it's going to be a lot of fun Christmas Eve in our virtual service. You'll tune in. I think there's two services, 6 and 10, and you can pick one for you and your family, and you'll see it portrayed. I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but I want to let you know it's much more than just a baby in a manger. That baby had a purpose. That baby had a promise to fulfill by God that goes stretches all the way back, even from the foundation of the world, but then played out through Abraham, and then it went to Mary and Joseph. So you see here, the real question is, she asked it, how can these things be if I've not had sex with a man? It's impossible for me to have a child. You're saying God's going to overshadow me. I, how does this even work? And she doesn't know what 
he shouldn't know what else to say except for that. And he doesn't answer the question about mechanically how that's going to happen or biologically how that's going to happen. But he just gives that word and she stops and says this, be it unto me according to your word. In other words, I don't get it what you're saying to me, but I cannot deny this, this is a word from God. I cannot deny that I just received a promise from God, and I don't know how this is all going to play out for me yet, and I don't know mechanically how it's going to work in my life, but be it unto me as you have said according to your word. When is the body of Christ going to get to the place that even though we don't understand what God's saying, we're still going to say, Lord, let it happen just as you have said. Because your word you placed above your very name. It has preeminence in our lives. And church, the word of the Lord holds the power to birth the life of a promise. I'm going to say it again. The word of the Lord has the power to birth or impregnate and birth the promise into life. When God gives you a promise, he can't lie. When God gives you a promise, he will keep it. He's a promise-keeping God. When God gives you a promise, he will move heaven and earth to perform it. Isaiah 55, 10 says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, eater so shall my word. Everybody say, so shall my word. God's word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. If God's ever said anything to you, it's got to come to pass. Is that all you got? Is that, you gonna sit there on me? Come on, y'all. Come on. 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 Turn to your neighbor and say, Wake up! Whoo, that was loud. Praise God. Microphone does work. Hallelujah. I feel like I'm lulling you to sleep, praise the Lord. You doing okay out there? Well, let's hear it. He said, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. If God don't want it to happen, he should have never said it. But the moment he gave you a promise, it's now got to come to pass. Now, you might not be in the right season yet, but it's going to take place. Sure enough, just like you know your name, it's got to happen. God gave promises and predictions of his son coming to redeem mankind all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, he gave over 300 of them. I want to just give you a few of them right now. Number one, it was predicted and prophesied that this Messiah King would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 714 thousand years earlier. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So did this not happen? I don't think that Mary was studying the Torah. Real, by the way, women did not study the Torah during that time. Only the boys did, not the women. I don't believe she was out there sneaking around her dad's back studying the Torah and go, ooh, this sounds cool right here in Isaiah. I think what I'll do is I'll be that woman. And I'll tell the world that I got pregnant by God and bring ultimate shame on myself and ultimate shame, because no one's going to believe my story anyway, ultimate shame upon my future husband and, 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 and contradict everything that, that God's already set up and, and make myself to be a heretic and a fool and maybe stoned to death. Mary wouldn't make up such a story to put herself in that kind of predicament, especially a young woman just in love. 
But yet it happened as, as just as the book said. How about this was predicted that the, the, the Messiah of all places would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, uh, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Jesus is God the Father, all the way back from ancient times, made manifest on the earth. The Jews who were waiting, who studied the scriptures and searched for the signs of the coming of Messiah, knew that this passage taught that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Can anybody choose the place of their birth? Did you choose it? No. No, and neither did Jesus. And yet he was born exactly where the prophet said, God said he would be born. How about this? Number three, it was predicted that he would preach in parables. Isaiah 78, 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Jesus spoke parabolically because that way that every generation could understand because parables have layers of meaning. Same outcome, but it hits you differently and maybe in different cultures or, or different uh, stage and season of your life. Have you ever read a parable? And I know you have. And it hit you differently now than it did 15 years ago? Why? Because it has a layer to it. And so that's how Jesus preached, exactly what the prophets prophesied. How about this? They said he would be a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Didn't Jesus say, I only speak what the Father says to speak? And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. How about this? Number five, he preached, uh, rather he was preceded by a messenger. He'd be preceded by a messenger. Malachi 3.1, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And by the way, he's coming again. Yeah. Hallelujah. And John the Baptist preceded the first coming of Christ. And before the second coming, we're going to have the Elijah spirit because the Elijah spirit was upon John the Baptist is coming to planet Earth. Number six, uh, uh, let me just go along with a lot of time. How about number seven? Uh, he would be betray, betray, betrayed by a friend, the Bible says. This was predicted that the Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend. Psalms 41.9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trust, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Has anybody heard of Judas before? He'd be betrayed by a kiss, right? Uh, number eight, he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The exact amount of money. Zechariah eleven twelve. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. How about this? Number nine, his hands and feet would be pierced. Psalms twenty two sixteen. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This was hundreds of years before the Romans would ever even invent crucifixion. And yet the Messiah King would have his hands and feet pierced, just like the prophet said. Um, the, it was predicted that his clothes would be gambled for. Uh, Psalms twenty two eighteen. They divided my garments among them. The Bible says they took his clothes off his back and rent them in two. And he uh, says here, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Did not the Roman soldiers cast lots to get his clothing? Obviously, the clothing was worth, the cloth was worth a lot of money, and they wanted it for themselves. That was predicted hundreds of years before him. Um, he would be executed with sinners, the Bible says. Isaiah 53, 12, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Talking about the Messiah. 
Who would even prophesy such a thing? No one would even see the Messiah numbered amongst the transgressors, yet Jesus was between what? Two thieves. He was crucified like a common criminal. Uh, Twelve. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. It was predicted in Isaiah 53, 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And where was he, where was he buried? The body of Christ? At the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who had his own monument, his own sepulcher, if you will. And, and they put his body in there, in this borrowed tomb. Um, it was predicted that that would ha happen. Just for one, and there's 300 of these, just for one of these things to happen would be like you winning the Wisconsin lottery and you keep playing like you're gonna hallelujah but my point is is that probably won't happen right it's, it's, it's very difficult to do that but to hit the lottery 300 times this Messiah that was predicted Jesus is who he says he is and church, the true Christmas story was that Jesus the Son of God was the promise of the Father given from the foundation of the world prophesied by his holy prophets, announced by his servant John the Baptist, and heralded by his angels in the field to the shepherds, and then confirmed to Jesus himself in the river Jordan, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And by the way, why did he first reveal the, the, the Messiah King born in the earth to shepherds? Because God reveals his greatest mysteries to those who will steward them, to those who will keep them, to those who will care for them like shepherds with, they, with their own sheep. These are the characteristics of who God trusts. I want that same value to be in me. That when God speaks something to me, I, I honor that and I thank God for that. And I make sure I steward that properly so that God can continue to trust me with the mysteries that he wants to share in the earth. Let me just say, God also makes sure to fund his promise as well. Jesus was born and if he was born by, by the will of the Father, that means that God was going to take care of him financially. Do you know that Jesus, they said, well, he was poor. He was poor, number one, because he came from heaven to earth. If you come from heaven to earth, you're poor, no matter how rich you are, because the greatest value is in heaven. Amen. But also, he, when he became, when in the ministry, the Bible says that he taught his disciples as he did. He stripped himself of everything and said, just go walk by faith. And you know, that's exactly, he became poor. But he became poor, and if you study the rest of the scriptures out, you find out he had his own house. You find out he had donkeys. You find out he had 70 people in his ministry he took care of. You find out he had a treasury, so much flowing into the treasury that Judas would rip him off, and nobody ever saw it. You know, Jesus knew about it. But it wasn't a big deal because they were able to take care of their business. Do you know the Bible says that, that, that Jesus had such, a, such beautiful clothes. One of his remnants uh, was called a seamless robe. That was the Gucci, the Armani of his day. He didn't buy it. Somebody blessed him with it. So expensive was the fabric that I just told you that they, they took his garment and split it in two and gambled for it. Jesus was taken care of because Jesus walked by faith in this earth and God said, have this person take care of, have this person join their ministry. Joanna, Chusa, uh, the Bible talked about these women that went and they supplied for him and these great people like Joseph of Arimathea took care of him, right? And God's still doing that today. He started with the wise men. The, from the very beginning, it was the wise men. These magi, and by the way, I know I'm going to ruin somebody's Christmas today, uh, but it, it, it wasn't three wise men. That's not true. 
It's not in the Bible. What? what are you talking about when three is wild? No, and I'm going to tell you something else too. Adam did not eat the apple. Look at y'all. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. It doesn't say he ate no apple. He ate fruit. We don't know what the fruit was. Could be kiwi. We don't know, praise God. We don't know. Um, we don't know. Say, well, Joe, I know one thing. Jonah definitely got swallowed by a whale. No. Bible doesn't say whale. Well. Oh, come on now. You're ruining my whole childhood here. It's just a great fish. We assume these things, right? And there wasn't three wise men. It just says the wise men of the east. They're from the Saudi Arabia area, right? And we know that they were men of wealth, so they probably had servants and everything else. So there was a whole crew of people that went. And the word magi, is the word they were from, they're the magi. The word magi comes from the Greek word magos. And it, it's, it's, it's the um, English word where we get the word magic, because when they studied the signs, uh, the, the signs in the sky, they were able to predict certain things like magic, right? Of course, we know that God sets things up. And magos itself comes from the old Persian word. Uh, I'm going to jack this one up. Um, magu, magupati. Ooh, that sounds kind of rough. Magupati. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Not pati. Pati. <laughs> you look at it for yourself. M-A-G-U-P-A-T-I. And this was the title given to a priest in the sect of the ancient Persians. And today, uh, we would call them astrologers. And back in those days, um, astrology and astronomy were together as a science. That's how they looked at it, as a science. So you study the skies, but also they tell a tale, right? Um, and it went hand in hand together. The Magi would have followed the patterns of the stars religiously. They would have been uh, able to predict things. And by the way, uh, they were probably very rich and held high esteem in their own society and by people who weren't from their country or religion. So people sought them out for answers and gave them gifts. So they were used to giving gifts because people gave them the gifts. They had uh, seen unusual new star in the sky and knew that it had told of the birth of a special king in Israel. No one really knows what this new star in the sky was to this day. So there are theories about it. One theory is that it's, it was a comet or a supernova. Another theory, which is probably highly likely, is the conjunction of planets like Saturn and Jupiter or something supernatural that could have happened as well. Legends are told about them, and uh, where we, we, get, we actually get a depiction of them, one by the name of Casper. This is where we get the three, because there's three names that are written, but, but we know there's more than that. Casper, who has brown hair and a brown beard, who wears a green cloak and a gold crown with green jewels on it. He's the king of Sheba. Uh, he represents the frankincense that's brought to Jesus, Malkir. Malkir uh, had long white hair, a white beard, and, and wears a gold cloak. He is the king of Arabia. He represents the gold brought to Jesus. And then uh, uh, Bath, Bathazar, who has black skin and a black beard and wears the purple cloak. He is the king of Tars. Uh, he represents the gift of myrrh that was brought to Jesus. And they took those gifts, and they, when they found Jesus, they went through Herod, and then they found Jesus, and then they lay these gifts. They offered them because the, the, the understanding is that anytime you're in the presence of a king, you never go without bearing a gift. That is the highest sign of respect is to bring forth a gift, your best gift. And they gave their best gifts to Jesus. And even today, we still do that process, do we not? We bring our best gifts. That's why we have 
offering time in every church service in America and around the world on Sunday in particular, we will receive an offering in churches around the world. Why? Because we give our best gifts to the king. So we can supply for the kingdom. Someone say amen. That's how we take care of the ministry and all the things that are going on. So this time of the year is not the time we give our least and give our, we got it so backwards. We give our most to ourselves at Christmas or our most to family members at Christmas. And nothing wrong with giving your best to them too. But never, never not give God your very best. Very important. It's Christmas time. It's his birthday after all. Praise God. So let's give our very best today. Did y'all enjoy the word, by the way? Isn't that good? A little bit different? 